Well, we've been in this series on heroes in the Old Testament together, and so far we've looked at Deborah, and then last week Dave shared with us about Moses. And then today we're going to study the book of Esther, which we're going to have to move kind of fast through our Bible passage because it's a whole book in the Bible just about this one hero. But Esther is actually going to be a little different than the other heroes we've talked about because when we think about heroes, we think about God showing up and doing a big thing. You know, God parts the seas. God leads the hero into a huge battle. The stories are impressive. They inspire the sense of awe of all that God can do in us. But Esther's a little different because in Esther, something strange happens. And someone might know this. So in the entire book of Esther, there is one character who's never mentioned. Does anybody know who that is? That's right. It's God. God's never once mentioned in the entire book of Esther. God seems strangely silent, especially for a book of the Bible. But because of this, Esther's story is going to help us answer a question that I think we've all asked one time or another. What do I do when God seems silent? What do I do when God seems silent? What do I do if I pray and I say, God, I need an answer from you, and I get crickets? What do I do when I go to God and say, God, we need you to come and to fix this stuff that we're facing, and it doesn't seem like God's there at all? This feels especially pertinent to us right now with what we're going through all together. So we'll be covering Esther's whole story today. Uh, we're going to kind of hit the highlight reel, starting in Esther chapter 1, so you can do your pew Bible. We're going to do scriptures on the screen, too, because we're going to move kind of fast. All right, you ready? Esther chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It starts, In those days King Asarius sat on his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign he gave a banquet for all his officials and ministers. All right, so the king is introduced. He has a big feast. It is very extravagant. He has a few drinks. He calls for the queen Ashti to come, Queen Vashti, so he can show her off to his friends. He's just great, isn't he? Verse 12, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged, and his anger burned within him. Queen Vashti refuses to come and be paraded around, and the king was mad, but even worse, the men got really nervous. They were worried if the queen could say no to the king that other women might get some ideas that they could say no to. Women with independence. It's anarchy. So they come up with a new plan. Verse 19, if it pleases the king, let a royal order come from him that Vashti is never again to come before King Asarius. Let that king give her a royal position to another who is better than she. Vashti is out. New queen. Let's start over. So they come up with a plan to gather all the young women together. Whoever the king likes best, that will be the new queen. The rest will be in his harem. They hoped this new queen would have less opinions, that she would rock the boat less. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Cue Queen Esther. Chapter 2, verse 5. Now there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed and many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in custody of Haggai, 
Esther also was taken into the king's palace, put in custody of Haggai, and was in charge of the women. All right, Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jewish man. He's a good guy. He's raised Esther because she was an orphan. Esther, now an adult and our hero, gets rounded up with the other women for what the Bible calls a year-long series of beautification. Mordecai tells her before she leaves, do not tell them that you're Jewish. Now, this situation, you know, we read it and we think, oh, year-long series of beautification, we're going to pick a new queen, feels like Cinderella. No. This is more like Hunger Games, truly. The women were taken from their families and homes. At best, they're selected to be queen, but we know what happened to Vashti, and she was queen. The other alternative is they are kept in a harem for the king. This is a dark and terrifying time for these young women. It's not a fairy tale. It's a horror movie for them. But Esther is there, and she's trapped. So they call all the women together after a year of beautification, and lo and behold, Esther is chosen to be queen. Now, meanwhile, there's two of the king's eunuchs over here, and they are plotting to assassinate the king. Kind of sounds like he had it coming, but they're planning to assassinate the king. Mordecai, remember the one who raised Esther, he finds out, and he goes and he tells Esther what's going to happen, and she goes to the king on Mordecai's behalf to tell him what's coming. So the king now is not in danger anymore of being assassinated, but I think he's uneasy because of what he does next. He promotes Haman, one of the other men. He promotes Haman to have more authority and to make sure he doesn't get stabbed while he's sleeping. Chapter 3, verse 2. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and did obeisance to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or do obeisance. All right, it would have been common practice to bow down before anyone like the king or someone right hand to the king. Mordecai knows he can't do that. You only bow down to God, right? And Mordecai knows that, so he refuses. Haman gets really angry, (laughs) and he decides he wants to kill Mordecai, but he feels like somehow that would be petty, so instead he decides to kill everyone who's Jewish, which feels like overkill. Chapter 3, verse 8, Haman said to King Asarius, there is a certain people, they're scattered and separated among the peoples and all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so it is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let an issue be decreed for their destruction. All right, the king agrees. Edict goes out. Mordecai finds out what's happened. He's filled with grief. He starts tearing his clothes. Esther hears that Mordecai is really upset, so she sends a eunuch to find out why. The eunuch comes back and tells Esther that all the Jews are going to be killed at the king's command. Esther knows. She knows what she has to do. She's the only one close to the king. But remember, he doesn't know she's Jewish. So she's making this decision to go. She knows she could be put to death because anyone who approaches the king without an invitation could be killed on the spot. She would have to risk everything. Chapter 4. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. 
Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. All right, for such a time as this. This is our first clear nod to God working in this story, even though God's not named. Maybe Esther's selection as a queen wasn't just a coincidence. Maybe, even though God's not mentioned, God is working tirelessly behind the scenes through our hero. So Esther fasts. She goes to the king. She wins his favor. He asks what she wants, and she invites the king and Haman to dinner. All right, now remember. Who's Haman really mad at? Mordecai, right? Because Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman when he was elected to be with the king. Mordecai, at this point, is so angry, he's decided he wants Haman hung, like in the gallows, in the city square, and hung. So he's laying awake in the middle of the night, dreaming about this. The king, meanwhile, also can't sleep. He's laying awake late at night, And he wants to sleep, so he gets out essentially his diaries, the chronicles of everything that he's done as king, and he comes across an interesting fact. Mordecai saved him from being assassinated. So he calls Haman in the middle of the night. Haman comes in, chapter 6, verse 6 says, What shall be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? Oh, Haman, he doesn't even know. So Haman's so sure that he's the one that the king wants to honor that his reply is to decorate that person in robes and put them on a horse and parade them through the city streets and have everyone bow down before them. Chapter 6, verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Quickly, take the robes, take the horse if you've said, and do so to the Jew Mordecai who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you've mentioned. And this is hilarious. If you ever read the Bible and thought the Bible's not funny, this is so funny. So all the things that Haman imagined were for him, he has to go do for Mordecai, the one he had been staying up at night thinking about how he could get him hung. But Haman gathers himself together because it's time for dinner with the queen and the king. They go to dinner, chapter 7. Esther, the king asks Esther, if you could have anything you want, what would you have? And Queen Esther says, if I have won your favor, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace, but no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then the king says to Queen Esther, who is he, where is he who has presumed to do this? Well, we know who that is, don't we? It's Haman. So Esther says to the king, it's Haman, your right-hand man, who said he's going to do this. He's the one that wants to kill us all. The king is so angry, he storms out. Haman realizes his number is up, and he throws himself towards Esther, begging for his life. And like something out of a soap opera, the king comes back in right at that moment, presumes that Haman has forced himself on the queen, 
and commands that he be hung, and not just hung, but on the gallows. What gallows? Well, the ones that Haman built for Mordecai. All right, but there's still one problem. The king has an edict still out there to kill all the Jews. And it's not like an email. Like, you can't just, like, send another email. Like, it's taken people on horses weeks to get this out to all the villages. So Esther goes again to the king, pleads for her people. And the king sends out a new edict, chapter 8, verse 11. These letters the king allowed the Jews, who were in every city, to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate any armed force or any people or province that might attack them with their children and women and to plunder their goods. All right, so there's a lot of violence in the Old Testament. And go back and listen to the sermon on Deborah. We talked some about how we interpret this today. But at the end of Esther, the Jews fight back, and they're victorious. And there's this new holiday now set up to remember their victory. In chapter 8, it says, Therefore, these days are called Purim, for the word pure. Thus, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the command of Queen Esther fixed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. All right, that's like your whirlwind view of the whole book of Esther. That's our story of our hero, with all its twists and turns, with the placement of Esther at the right place at the right time to save God's people. We see God's fingerprints all over this story, but God is never mentioned by name. No big miracles. No words from a prophet to Esther to assure her that God is there and with her. What did Esther do when God seemed silent? She is faithful to God anyway. She fasts and she prays. She stands up for God's people and for Mordecai. She risks her life to protect them. Esther is faithful even when God seems silent which is what heroes do. Heroes are faithful even when God seems silent. And this is true in your life, too. In your life, you may never see a big miracle like the kinds we read about in the Bible. You may never hear words from a prophet to tell you how to interpret the things that you're seeing. Or even if you have those mountaintop moments where you hear God speak and see God working and feel God's presence in you, there's a lot of time in between those moments for most of us. It may not always be clear to you what God is doing, and there may even be times when you pray for God to speak and you don't hear anything in return. So what do you do when God seems silent? You are faithful to God. You think about what you know about God from the Bible. You remember the times you have experienced God move and work in the past. You hold on to the teachings of Jesus and you pray and you continue to do what God is calling you to do because you remain faithful in it. Because even when God seems silent, God is still there with you. God is still there. God is still moving in your life. God still cares about you. God even might be speaking to you in a new way through somebody else or in a different way, and you're still learning to hear it. And so it feels like God's silent, but God's really not. 
Even though we never hear God mentioned in Esther's story, God is so clearly working through every detail, through every moment, through Esther and her courage and her faithfulness for such a time as this. And God is working and moving in your life too, even when it's hard to tell. Sometimes being a hero means being a part of big, miraculous things that God is doing. But more often than not, it's remaining faithful, even when things are difficult, even when life is terrifying, and trusting that God is there, being faithful to God, even in that silence. 